his this sphere sure peace in the black clutch. What? His this sphere sure peace in the black clutch. Is it future or is it past in the Black Lodge? We have shoe vest hagene hene funchi five hairs. We're going to do this again in 25 years? Why? Hara heu plura bummer. I have heard that name before. You have, haven't you? We can never this was. No, we cannot. This is Weird Religion, a podcast for people who know religion is weird, but love it anyway. I'm your host, Brian Doak. I'm an author, professor, biblical scholar, and I was an art major for one semester in college. Wow. I'm your host, Mm. Leah Payne. I'm a professor, historian, author, and sometimes the town I live in is so friendly that it creeps me out. True dad. (laughs) Today, we're talking about the weirdly familiar, yet not at all familiar world of Twin Peaks, directed by David Lynch, a TV show which ran for two seasons in the early 1990s and came back for a revived 18-part finale series in 2017. Also, what is the nature of good and evil and how should it be depicted on TV? And what in the world is Twin Peaks or the Black Lodge? Join us. Join us. I have a question for you. Okay. Do you think the cause of good in the world has gone backward? Like, can we, or or has it just remained stagnant? Do we move forward in fits and starts and then backward in the exact same fits and starts so that we are really never going anywhere? Well, it's interesting because um, I, I am reminded of the great Martin Luther King Jr., and his famous quote about the arc of the universe bends toward justice. I mm. think I think I'm paraphrasing. Yeah, maybe. no, I think that's the quote. Yeah, and uh, it's very beautiful. Um, and that's like a classic liberal idea. And I mean liberal in the very like technical sense of the world word, like a liberal idea that we're kind of heading toward this preferable future. Right. And um, I think you know that's a very Western, very Christian idea. I, as a historian, you're kind of trained not to think that way. Mm. Not, about, to, not to even make the judgment. Exactly. Because the idea is that it's the task of the historian to like make those kinds of meanings uh-huh. for other people. And so like in and of themselves, there's just like stuff happening. I think, and, and I don't mean, I, I truly, I don't mean this to be a political statement of any kind. I'm just like, I'm an observer here. I'm mm-hmm. act, trying to act like a journalist. Mm-hmm. Like I'm just watching and I watch the world and I see sort of like the kinds of things that happen, laws that are repealed, laws that are passed, things right. that happen, things that don't happen. And I think groups that have been fighting for justice, for fighting on, on, en route to that long arced justice right, must be looking out at the world and thinking, is this even getting any better at all? Is it getting worse? Right. How can so many people so strong and so smart fight so hard for so long to achieve 
like so little, it seems in some ways. Like that must be, I, I am not an oppressed group fighting for justice for myself. I can try on a good day, you know, if I'm, if my moral wits are about me to fight for other people. But yeah. it's like, you can, I, I don't know. I, I felt like somehow today I woke up like and my eyes were just opened <laughs> in some new way. I can't even explain it. Just like mystically, just thinking how, how could you fight like politically for things that like people fight for? And just like, it seems like it's all going backwards. But then even to that extent that things seem to be going backwards for some people, people are so radically opposed to each other just in general in the world, maybe not even more now than they've ever been, that when things are going horribly for some people, the balance kind of tips and then they're going really well for other people who are like succeeding at the expense of others. Mm, yeah. Okay. Well, there are a couple different thoughts there that I'd love to engage in. And then I guess we have to get to our subject matter, but. Oh, this is, in my mind, this is exactly <laughs> the subject matter. We're on it already. We're on yeah, it. Yeah. So uh, a couple different things, which is one is like the kind of scarcity model that you're talking mm -hmm. about, like the idea that there's only so much of a pie. And so if one person's getting part of it, then somebody else is right. not getting all of it. Right, right. So, you know, I would hope and I think this is kind of the overarching, maybe not always spoken goal of something like feminism, where it's like, there's a preferable future wherein we all prosper together and that, right. you know. Right. So, I mean, that's kind of like the the hope. Um, but the other thing that you mentioned was, you know, when you go through periods of discouragement, um, especially if you're like, you know, there's a particular cause or if there's a particular... Um, theological goal that, you, you know, that you have that you don't see happening. I, I think, I don't know if you feel this way, but I think parenthood, and maybe this is related to our, our, our uh, item that we're discussing today, but I think parenthood made me really think differently about those kinds of things. Because when I was a younger person, I think I got discouraged more easily. But mm. when, as I've become a parent, I've started to think in longer arcs. Mm. So I'm like, I remember my great aunt Connie who's a wonderful, brilliant woman, um, told me that when she looked at my sister and I, she felt such satisfaction because so many of the things that she was working for as a social worker in Bend in the 60s wow. uh, and 70s um, and 80s, that those things were coming to pass in my life. Wow. You know? So she kind of had a, lar a larger, a longer arc. In a mind. longer arc What about you? you? When I finished the last episode... Episode 18 in the new series, Twin Peaks, which is kind of like season three. The first two series came out <laughs> yeah. in the early 90s. I guess they were filmed in the late 80s. It's a it's a classic like 90s show. Yeah. And those ran on television, which is so weird to think about that Twin Peaks seasons one and two were on network TV. Right. Because they are so non-network TV style Well, in every way. This is... Okay, we do some weird shows. This yes. is probably the weirdest. This is the deepest, weirdest cut. Now, Twin Peaks has a huge fan base, though, too. Oh, so yeah, yeah, but yeah. don't worry if you've not watched Twin Peaks. We'll try to make sense of this. Although, <laughs> I just... Anyway, when I got to the... Okay, and then David Lynch, the, the, the writer and producer. I guess David Lynch and Mark Frost co-wrote the whole thing. And Mark Frost is like a supernatural novelist. Does oh. like stuff like that, and he co-wrote it, but David Lynch directs. And okay. Lynch has a very distinct style, a lot of films and TV, just a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. Anyway, when I got, so the second, the new series, which was done in 2017, came out on Showtime. When I finished the the 18, it's an 18 part, one. it's an 18 part movie in this one hour long. chunks. This I committed is very to this. Long. I've been living in this world for two weeks. That must be when I saw you, you're like, I was like, how are you doing? And you kind of, you had this Lynchian look I just kind of stumbled you. into a bush and like started saying something. In, <laughs> slowly. Okay, slowly. When I got to the last episode, 
I caught this vision. And okay, is it possible to even provide spoilers for the show? No, because even if I try to say what the plot is, I, it's hard to say what the plot of the show is. How and do even you, if, how even do you if, even say the genre? Like to me, it's kind of noir, but then it's kind of like kind of noir, kind of camp horror, yeah. uh, surrealism, kind of like a detective kind of uh. thing element. When I got to the last episode, <laughs> and when that final scene happened, yeah. I thought to myself, is this a vision of the world in which no matter which dimension you travel to, no matter which timeline you get yourself into in some kind of alternate reality, you're going to be battling good and evil in the exact same ways, which in the Lynchian vision of the show, I think, seem to be somehow equally matched. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And things may get out of balance one way or the other, but the other side then rallies. So if things seem too good, evil comes and like tries to, you know, swallow it up in ever more terrifying ways. Yeah. And if evil seems to be winning, the good characters, Dale Cooper, primary among them, the FBI agent investigating supernatural murders and things yeah. in the show that kind of loosely makes the spine of the show. Uh-huh. Sort of he, the moral center, I guess. Yeah, the moral yeah. center. He could he'll come and try to make things right, but even his most desperate, sophisticated, bizarre attempts to make things right you end up right back where you were with Laura with Laura Palmer, the main female kind of character who's murdered in the first season and, and about, who's, about whose murder the show is sort of centered on this idea of her murder. She ends up terrorized again in the very end, re-terrorized, re-traumatized over and over again. And she can never like, even when Cooper can go back in time and save her somehow, he actually doesn't really save her. And so seeing that episode and just like, I don't know, just like any time you just like look at the news, anybody could feel this way, right? Like you yeah. look at the news and you think, the world is backwards. Yeah. What is happening? And you, it just took me into like the deepness and the darkness, truly the darkness. I think the horror, the the evil really of that vision, which is like, you cannot really escape evil. You can just have a battle of good and evil and they fight each other. And that's kind of it. So there's no like telos to it. Well, I was wondering, okay, this is a very non-Western idea of, about history, right? Mm, like, right. I mean, a couple of different things, like this kind of like the two opposing forces and the idea that like maybe history is a cyclical thing, like that right. we are always returning. But I think one of the things that is fascinating to me about this is that is why I find this show so puzzling. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I'm really asking like, why do I find this show to be so hard to wrestle with mm -hmm. when they employ a lot of the same tactics that, I mean, you might even call them cliche. Like right. the idea that somehow, even though you can travel back in time, you can't save a life. Mm -hmm. Like every cheesy show that does time travel ex has to figure out a way to explain that to build tension, right? To totally. build narrative tension. And yet when you're seeing it in this, this framework, for some reason, it seems like more mysterious or more profound. Is it the style? Do you think? I mean, you're kind of you're more of an expert on this show well, than I am. There are super fans of of Lynch out there that are bigger super fans than me, and fans of Twin Peaks that that know much more of the trivia and into the fandom world. But I've been a, I've been a, a total fan of the show, and I can't after watch. Okay, so I, I roped my wife into watching one episode. With <laughs> what me. did she think? She said one thing. She just said, "I don't understand how you can watch this." <laughs> was she, was okay, she now your wife is a therapist. That was she was saying said. that from like a sort of like psychological, like I don't understand you? I think she was saying 
Yeah, just like the show is so obtuse, so difficult to watch. And then it breaks out in these scenes of just total depravity and horror, uh-huh. which are juxtaposed with, like you said, almost like this kind of bubblegum <laughs> 1950s goodness kind of like. Yeah. I'm, I'll quote from an essay by David, the late David Foster Wallace, who was a novelist and an essayist, mm-hmm. um, who wrote a, a long essay, I think um, sometime in the 90s about David Lynch. It's in one of his essay collections. He says, he writes, um, David Foster Wallace writes um, in this essay, which is... Um, um, entitled, I don't even know what it's called. Oh, it's called David Lynch Keeps His Head. I'm looking at it online. Oh, okay, interesting. Um, and, and he writes, he says, an academic definition of Lynchian might be that the term refers to a particular kind of irony where the very macabre and the very mundane combine in such a way as to reveal the former's perpetual containment within the latter. Mm. here's a moment that I had while watching the show that, mm-hmm. that tells, see, this is all just like super nonsensical and personal and mystical. And this is something else that uh, David Foster Wallace writes about, just how weirdly personal the show seems in some ways, even yeah. though it's not at all. Like, how can you possibly relate to these characters? They're so weird. But like, I was watching the show and it probably, you know how you watch a movie and you get in a headspace oh, yeah, 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 of the sure. film? Like and if, you start thinking in dialogue. Exactly. And, oh, yeah. So I'm sitting there and the show is like ending or something and I peer out my window to the left of a second floor window. We have we have one TV in our house and it's on our second floor like in a kid's playroom which yeah. is constantly looks like a nuclear explosion. <laughs> it's the most uncomfortable room to watch TV or to really do anything in it but there's our TV and we don't have a TV in our living room so we're rebelling well, against Well, that's that. very nice actually but that's a whole other thing. That's a different, that's yeah. a different topic. So I look out the window and I see my neighbor mowing the lawn. Oh, that's such a... Oh. And just the way like he sort of like just his like dumpy gestures and like the way he was trying to like fix something on the mower and it was like it was almost infused with a kind of like horror like Lynch has a lot of scenes like that and then you think to yourself like oh what if behind his house there's some kind of horrible murder taking place oh my gosh okay that's a Lynchian moment right there so you are just bringing to like there was something simmering in my subconscious yes conscience let it out I was watching and I Rewatched the the first series. I watched the first series years ago. Loved it, especially mm-hmm. season one. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, you know, how you're watching something and you're like, "This is," or you're listening to someone talk and you're like, "This is reminiscent of something," and I'm not sure. But actually, I would bet that Lynch is deeply indebted to Hitchcock because mm. what it reminded me of, and especially that comment, was Rear Window, mm. which is a iconic an iconic film have you ever seen Rear Window I don't think so okay so the basic premise and this isn't going to take long is a guy who's been in an accident and so he is unable to walk Jimmy Stewart, and he is bored and he's just looking out his window mm-hmm. um, and he's in an apartment complex and he thinks he sees a murder. Oh. Like he's seeing people do average everyday things and then he's pretty sure. And then the whole film, it's super slow paced. The whole film is like, did he see what he thought he saw? Oh. And it gets really, really tense. Anyway, so I was wondering if if Lynch was a fan of Hitchcock because it's that sort of slow burn. Like mm-hmm. you and I were just watching the season finale and it was like, I couldn't tell, am I feeling tense because I'm into it or am I bored? I don't know. Right. Well, and that that's that, that's that sublime line <laughs> yeah. between like, nothing is happening and everything is happening right, all at once, right, which right, right. I think life kind of does feel like that. Doesn't it feel like that for you professionally? Like life is oh, like, yeah. it's like nothing, nothing, nothing. It's like submitting a journal article somewhere for publication. Uh, yeah. You submit it and you're like, I just worked for months Forever, on this. Never, and it's never, like, never, you hear never, never. nothing, 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 month, 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 <laughs> totally, month, totally. month. Here's an email. You have to revise these five things by tomorrow. And then we'll it's like all of a sudden everything happens. And then you get that response at the same time as you get another response. Yes. And you're like, ah! And people are like, we need to know right now. We need to know right now. So, you know, I, that has a very realistic kind of um, 
a kind of feel to it. I wonder about this genre thing that you bring up though. Mm-hmm. Like it, it leads me to two questions that I have about, about just style and film or really in any kind of art, I guess you could say it reminds me, actually this question takes me back to our thoughts on the blackout podcast and the way, right. just the style and the way that we did, did it there, which right. is why do content as an artist, say like David Lynch, why would you do content that is so evasive with characters that are so obtuse with dialogue that is so stilted. It suddenly strikes me that we've never even explained like really what the show is here to our poor listeners who don't really know. I've mentioned elements of it, but we should we come back to that. I'll explain yeah. what the show is. But then on the other hand, why do content that's like really on the nose, like just like really obvious, like Blackout does this. Right, right. Like, They're like, look it, there's a gun. Yeah. You know, and- or Yeah, or like as the, as the show goes on, some of the inhabitants of this, of this town in this podcast, Blackout, um, they they got they lose their electric electrical grid and the town starts to go downhill and one of them decides that they're gonna build a wall. Let's build a wall. <laughs> Which is kind of like what? Gee, whatever is going on in what's, our national discourse what's that, that we get compared to. to. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. On, by on the nose, I mean like that kind of thing. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, I get it. These backward people who are scared are building a wall. Just like they're saying that people want to build a wall right, now right. are backward and scared. So it's like making it so clear. Whereas Lynch does this thing where it's like you can almost never make those links. You're trying no. like so hard to like follow a symbol and you can do it. Yeah. But it's like you're walking on this tightrope and you're very far out there and you're like, I do, you're walking on a tightrope in the fog and you yeah. just don't really know, but you're somehow balancing it somehow works. And I think that's part of the magic of the show is that it works yes. at all. Which reminds me of a quote from Ludwig Wittgenstein, the philosopher. He said, faith is like that. Faith is like seeing a person walking on a tightrope at a great distance. You say to yourself, that person is walking on, on in midair. But you get closer and you see, no, they're actually not walking in midair. They're walking on a, on a wire. It's very thin, but it, uh-huh. is, but it is there. It is something. Interesting. Well, I think you could actually, <laughs> I wonder if you could just compare the entire show to that. Like, Yeah, very much. Yeah. So one of the things, I mean, I hope this isn't, you, you correct me if I'm wrong because you're the expert on this one, but um, this is basically, the plot is pretty easy to descri- describe. It's it like, is. it's a it murder is. mystery. It's a murder mystery. At the very, this doesn't give away anything. No, no, no. At the no. very beginning That's of right. the entire series, you find out that this young woman has been murdered and, and the whole Laura show. Laura Palmer. Laura, Laura Palmer, Palmer is her name. And uh, we should say that it has some great shots of the Pacific Northwest because oh, it's set the whole in thing Washington is set State. yeah Twin Peaks is, is a town in Washington State so if you're a Pacific Northwesterner love it just multiply your attachment to the show times a hundred yeah yeah it's it's beautiful it's beautifully shot especially the first season I think has some really iconic shots of but totally. um yeah so that that's basically the plot it's it's who the, killed Laura Palmer and the FBI agent who's trying to track down the killer that's it yeah that's actually a really good point it is actually very simple in that sense so David Lynch could look at us and say, what's so complicated? It's not complicated. It's a murder mystery. It's about who killed Laura Palmer. Uh-huh. Well, the complication is you find out and we're going to spoil plots here, okay? But yes, yes. this is the thing where you could know the plot and it would actually help you to know the plot before watching because the yeah, show is so weird. Make it easier. It turns out her fa- her own father has killed her. Mm-hmm. And in another- Or in a, has he? Or has he? Yeah. In a prequel, which is a terrifying, terrifying film called Fire Walk With Me, <laughs> you find out the father has been abusing her and just horrible. The murder is a horrible, horrible scene. But it turns out the father- the father's body killed her, but the body as possessed by a, kind of like a demonic satanic force named Bob mm-hmm. has actually done the murder. And this force Bob, you find out in the new series, was 
maybe, this is ambiguous, by the way, was maybe somehow created during a nuclear test in the 1940s and was sent to Earth to like inhabit bodies. But then at the same time that Bob was created, a character named the Fireman ends up sending Laura Palmer or the spirit of Laura Palmer Mm -hmm. down to Earth to be like a kind of force of pure teenage feminine beauty and goodness Mm -hmm. that Bob is always trying to kill, but she's always trying to survive. And then you have people like Dale Cooper, the FBI agent, who are trying to solve the murder. And he ends up going back in time at one point and like saving her from being murdered. But does he actually save her? This is what kicked off the initial question. Yeah. It turns out maybe he couldn't save her from being killed, from being traumatized by Bob the spirit. Maybe the whole thing was just a setup. And maybe, in fact, they're trapped inside this eternal world in which good and evil are just, like, fighting each other. Yeah, like you say, maybe, like, a a very non-Western view. Well, one thing that I thought was, uh, and I want to ask you your thoughts on this, is that I I thought, like, okay, our— what's our point of entry? Is it the FBI guy? Like, are we supposed to identify? Are yeah. we the viewers? Right. And if we're supposed to identify with him, I think we are, you know, because we see like- We're he supposed goes, to like him. He's very likable. Very likable. And, you know, he was also, that actor was also in Desperate Housewives where he plays not as likable of a character, but he's very likable here, yep. very straighter. He was, the mayor, he was, a, he the, he was the mayor of Portland on Portlandia. That's right. <laughs> as well. He was funny. In yeah, that. totally. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so he's he's a very likable, straight-laced kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, is he supposed to be like the representative, like the human component in the sense of like humanity being a good thing? Like, so there are so. these opposing forces and then like humanity kind of like upsets that or, or I, you know, I, yeah. that those were the things that I was kind of wrestling with. Yeah, there must be some sense in which, and there are other characters too that just, they're very uncomplicated characters, but they just represent pure goodness, like pure innocence and happiness. Norma, I think her name is Norma. Mm, She's the owner of the diner. She's just pure happiness. Yeah, she maybe has struggles in her life, but like Mm -hmm. she's not a character that harbors some kind of deep evil inside of her. That's true. But there are characters who are just purely evil, it seems, and have no goodness. Like for example, one other odd thing that happens, and this is the cliffhanger at the end of season two, after which the show was canceled, from network TV because it was just too weird and the viewership lagged or whatever, is that Cooper ends up going to this place called the Black Lodge, which is kind of like an extra dimensional heaven, hell. Purgatory? No, not purgatory. It's like like just a a middle space, a liminal space. It's a liminal space. It's a room. It's a place with like these deep red curtains. It's so bizarre. And the characters like speak in this odd, like back masked sort of way. And Cooper ends up going there and he gets trapped there, and this and Bob basically takes his body and creates a doppelganger of Cooper, the FBI yeah. agent, and goes back into the world, and then goes on a twenty-five year streak of basically murdering and chaos and criminal activity. Although Laura Palmer, who also meets Cooper there, tells him that she will see him again in twenty-five years. That's right. And then they made like she's the, going. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, no, I was going to say they made the remake twenty-five years after the original show. Then, and so it's <laughs> like. Great. It's this odd like life art kind of thing where they really did a 25-year hiatus and then brought it back 25 years later where you then encounter <laughs> Laura Palmer older in the Black Lodge but also in real life where she also has a doppelganger type character who lives in a different place after she's been saved in an alternate timeline. Uh, I just have to say for a sec <laughs> that this reminds me this is in a funny way it's sort of like those British shows that just go on forever and ever like right. and they'll take 
eight years off, 10 years off, and they pick up right where they got they left off, which I think is so fun because what I like about this whole thing, okay, there's this trend of remaking shows, totally. right? Totally, huge trend. And I, I think we all know that they do this for the same reason why there are like 20 Avengers films because mm-hmm. like studio network executives or whatever want to capitalize on like this already built-in audience. Mm -hmm. What I liked, and I want to hear your thoughts on this, what I liked about Twin Peaks, because I'll I'll be honest, I loved the first season. I have liked the subsequent seasons less and less, which I know makes me terrible. No, no, no. The second season was almost unwatchable It's like saying you don't like craft beer, I feel like, you know, it's just like... Right. You're supposed (laughs) to say that you like it. He's an artist, yeah. Yeah. Um, So I didn't... Um, like them as much. But one of the things that I sort of like about it is it's kind of an anti-capitalist, you know, like it's like a critique of like, you're trying to make money on, you know, Rocky 8 or whatever, (laughs) which I have to say the Creed movies. So good. Leah is a fan of the Creed movies. I've heard no end of this Creed movie. Yes, I'm a fan, fan. But but it's sort of like a, he he almost makes it deliberately anti-commercial. It's deliberately awkward. I mean, the silences in the show are just so deliberate. I mean, it's it's either a big um, thumb in the nose, uh, mm-hmm. thumb to the nose, thumb nose. I don't know what's the phrase. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's just a big yeah. It's it's a big kind of statement against any kind of speed or coherence. Yeah. Are two things that do are not when things happen they happen. Like in the penultimate episode yeah. of the new series, there's a lot that goes down, and you're just like okay. left gripping your arms of your armchair because it's it's a lot but then you have to put up with so many episodes in which nothing <laughs> at all happens it's and you're just like, like he's testing you Are you he's testing out yeah he's, he's testing you do. if you feel like you've become too soft with your with your social media and your iPhone and whatnot in the world oh listener <laughs> just watch <laughs> Twin Peaks okay. and let it train you in the art of like silence and just waiting and enduring unendurably awful subplots that go nowhere and contribute nothing but yet you will endure it well one of the things that I thought about this was Imagine if a church service were kind of like this. So you and I have talked a lot about how like churches will often go way over the top trying to entertain people. Mm -hmm. And this is like the anti-version of that. Oh, totally. This is like, yeah, it's like, um, I I knew someone who went to a church actually like this in in a big city. I don't want to name the church or the place so as to seem to be, but (laughs) it's like- Spoken backmasking. But this this church was like, yeah, it it was kind of like a seeker unfriendly church on purpose. Interesting. It was like they wanted to be like- Did it work? Just super community oriented and they didn't have any microphones because they didn't want, and it was like they would be almost intentionally repellent to visitors- because they didn't want to be beholden to those dynamics, right? And so you can see something kind of pure and lovely in that in the yeah. sense that like, no, this isn't what church is about. It's about like a family is just what a family is. We're not trying to like bring new people into it. It's just like, we are who we are. This yeah. is us. And belonging was a very, and this is very different from the way, say, the kind of, uh, just the general arc of the evangelical church landscape has right. gone, say, since World War II, where things have become very homogenous. Methodist, Presbyterians, Assemblies of God, even Catholics to some degree have all kind of started to do the same kind of music. You kind of go into any church and it's going to be like rock band strumming kind of a stuff. Guitar, yeah. Strumming a guitar. And there's a kind of commercial appeal to that where the realization was that this was entertainment and that this was what people wanted. And the preaching was all kind of the same. And, you know, it kind of started to look like that. So See, I yeah. I think there's a good analogy to be made between that and lots of different kinds of TV, right? Like mm. there's a gazillion different criminal investigation shows mm-hmm. where they do, you know, gross like here's the bullet going through someone's body. Right. And this show is sort of like, nope, we're not going to do that. <laughs> 
one thing that the show does, and this is also from the, yeah. from the the David Foster Wallace essay, just in its its presentation of evil, is this idea. And I'm not quoting the article exactly here. I can't find the quote. So it's a long article. It's a very well written too. Um, but basically, the idea in Lynch is that evil is. It's not as though evil is some subtle symbol in the background, mm-hmm. or that evil is like like it was in the Blackout podcast, where like evil was like the woman who wants to build a right, wall to right, divide right. us. It's like oh, okay, and then you have to do. It's like in the show, evil is very present. It's like right there. It's yeah. actually like demonic in the world acting. You might even be standing somewhere and you might just see a vision. Yeah, yeah. And it's like a boom, an evil character just appears right in front of you. Oh, here's a, here's an odd religious concept. The show, especially the new season, delves into this idea of the tulpa. Have you yeah. ever heard of a tulpa before? Nope. T-U-L-P-A. I never no. had. I started to look this up. I found there's a Reddit, there's a whole Reddit community around tulpas. What is a tulpa exactly, you ask? Oh, I will tell you. Um, a tulpa is an is like a, a consciousness that exists within a creator's mind. Okay. With and it has a form that is of the creator's own choice, which you can create by the power of your mind. It's sentient and it's in control of its own feelings and opinions and movement, but it's but it's it's willingly created by people by a number of techniques, whether magical or just by the power of your mind, in order to be a companion or a muse or an advisor. And so not like the golem, not not like the like clay creation, but this is some sort of like it's a muse. Yeah, Interesting. It's it's it, yeah, kind of. And it's like there's this whole Reddit community around this where like people talk about like outings they want to go on. Like oh. um here's a person, here's a recent post. So I was wondering if anyone else has done anything similar to this. Basically a few days ago my family took a a day trip to this lovely seaside town a couple of hours from where I live and I fell in love with the place. I desperately want to go there for a holiday, but I can't afford it. So my tulpas suggested we build a <laughs> replica of the place in our wonderland and stay there for a few days. What? We researched the place and things to do there so we can make it as similar as possible, then created a place to stay, which if it existed, I would never be able to afford. So it's nice to have that luxury for once. Ha ha. What? Has anyone ever done this or am I just weird? I know it's my tulpa's way ah. of cheering me up, but I'm actually as excited to be in our Wonderland holiday as I would be if it was in real life. So the idea is you can create the tulpa and the tulpa acts back on you. So this this plays a role actually in the new season of Twin uh-huh. Peaks. They create these these doppelgangers of these tulpas. And so there are multiple Dale Coopers existing in the same world. And some of them are actually tulpas that are not fully like real humans, but are created in the Black Lodge, which is this like place. And mm-hmm, then mm-hmm, they, mm-hmm. Ah, I just- This is sort of like, <laughs> like if you were to take the idea of an imaginary friend mm-hmm. that a kid has mm-hmm. and then just adult it, mm-hmm. like grow it up to scale. Mm-hmm sounds like i'm just having a live reaction to this and <laughs> well, i don't even know the what tulpa to say. community okay but here's here's one theme that does come out uh-huh. in the show at least in the end when you see these these multiple coopers like dale cooper that lovable character from the first season mm-hmm. now he's like a bad cooper an evil cooper who's possessed by bob but then he's also like a kind of a doofus cooper who's yeah. like this other guy dougie jones and then <laughs> right. there's like the real dale cooper so i mean i think you just have a classic artistic kind of motif there of the divided self yeah. Something like you'd see in the Odyssey or in a lot of literature. The idea like, how do you take all these versions of yourself? Like Leah Payne, the scholar. Leah Payne, the mom. Right, right, Leah right. Leah Payne, the author. You know, just like yeah. Leah Payne, the teacher. Leah, And it's like, is the, are these all really one person or are these like separate people? And I think, although it's wacky, filled with horror, filled with this bizarre kind of motif and all of the all the stylistic things that are Lynch, right. you get a reflection on what it would be like to try to achieve a unity like that in yourself. How do you get back to be the real you? 
right. when the day is done and when you've had to put on all the masks that you have to wear to try to make people happy and to try to do your job the right way. I'll tell you what. I mean, I'll, uh, I'd like to hear you respond to that. Like, how do you get back to the real you? Because right. I know that one of the things that you and I talk about, usually when we're like, being really disorganized, trying to get ready for this, mm-hmm. <laughs> is just like when you're raising kids and you're working, you have a constant divided self, right? Mm-hmm. Like totally. there's no one point in time where you have like 100% of your attention focused on one thing. I'm always jealous of people right. when they can do that. Totally. So how do you do, like what do you do to have the most unified version of yourself? <sighs> you know, that is, that's really difficult. Probably, you know, simple things like doing things that I enjoy or breathing or watching TV and, and just being with my wife. I think holding, I think holding my daughters or having what we call snuggle time is a way to like ground oneself just for, for physicality. Because like how much touch do we really get oh like gosh. during our days of like professional stuff? You maybe have a handshake or something, but you kind of just like, we're very undertouched, I think as Americans, or I feel that way. And so when I'm with my daughters, there's like this sense that I do think, you know, there's a kind of touch in a bringing a bringing me back that I have. Okay, it's funny that you say that because we didn't talk about this beforehand, mm. but I was thinking the exact same thing. Oh, and really? I actually saw an article that said the more you hug children, the uh, especially toddlers, the more their brain grows. So you're making your kids smarter by doing that. Right. But the other thing, so last night I just was up and I had some work stuff on my mind and it was just like really driving me crazy. Yeah. And my son, who my youngest son, who is just a few months old, woke up and like having him on my chest, like just sleeping on my chest was like all of a sudden I could relax and I was like coming, like when the scriptures say like, and then he came back to himself, you know, oh, like he yeah. just kind of realized like, like this is who I am. Mm-hmm. This is like the world just was ordered by having, you know, the, a loved one like physically present with me. I will say this about the path to the real self that these shows teach us, if anything, that the path back to the real you, to the unified self is chaotic. That it's mysterious, that it's going to involve horror, and that it's going to take a really long time. And popcorn. And popcorn. How can we survive in the world? Hey, thanks for listening, weirdos. We love all our weirdos, near and far. For extras and extra nerdy Easter eggs on subjects covered in this episode, don't forget to click on the hyperlinks in each episode's description on our website, weirdreligion.com. And join our social media conversations about religion and pop culture on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Weird Religion. And we're YouTubing now, so find us on YouTube. YouTube us. (laughs) No. (laughs) These episodes were produced at Stone Bear Studios, engineered by Luke DiLorenzo and executive produced by Troy Wellstad. Our theme music is by Cassie Blum and our album artwork by John Williams. A special shout out to Portland Seminary for sponsoring the season and to trigger the studio dog. When you podcast, podcast with us. Bye.